Welcome to the Schwartz on Sports podcast, hosted by Noah Schwartz. Hey everybody, welcome back to the second ever episode of the Schwartz on Sports podcast, brought to you by the Belly Up Sports Network. I am your host, Noah Schwartz, and I'm so excited to be back for my second ever episode. Happy Friday, everyone. Hope everyone's doing well. A lot to talk about here on the show. First, we're going to start with last night's Thursday Night Football game, talk a little bit about the Packers and what they should have done this week in the trade deadline, talk a little bit about the 49ers, and I will do my Describe 5 as I do every single week, talk about five NFL games, pick, make my picks, and discuss them. And I'll talk a little bit about the NBA, a little uh, MLB, so a packed episode, and let's get right to it. So... The Packers. The Packers were a team that, to me, needed to make a move at this week's trade deadline as much as any team. And we saw it was a very quiet trade deadline for the most part. Only a few major moves went down. We had the Avery Williamson trade from the Jets to the Pittsburgh Steelers. They needed a linebacker. We saw Quan Alexander go to the New Orleans Saints. But for the most part, not many big moves. There was the Desmond King trade. But for the most part, really a quiet deadline, and there's a number of reasons for that, starting with the salary cap situation, it's a little, a lot of uncertainty there, and then you have COVID, and, and people have to quarantine before they play with their new team, so a couple of reasons for why there was a, de- a quiet deadline, but I thought the Packers were as receiver needy as any team in the league. They had a, a, a giant hole at wide receiver, and they didn't make a move. This was arguably the biggest news of the deadline week, the fact that the Packers didn't trade for Will Fuller, the Houston Texans wide receiver. And I thought this was the guy who could have really solved it and a major problem for the Packers. They haven't had a number two receiver in the last couple of years to, to compliment Devontae Adams. And Adams might be the best receiver in the NFL. But Fuller could have been the guy to really help him out and compliment him. Help Aaron Rodgers out also. Uh, this year in seven games, Fuller, 31 catches, 490 yards, five touchdowns. Having a career year on pace to break every single a personal best in a previous season. So he, he was having his best year ever. And uh, Deshaun Watson was really leaning on him without DeAndre Hopkins this year. Uh, people said last year once the, the Texans traded Hopkins that he left Watson, they left Watson with nothing. And, and, and while that's true that you don't want to trade a guy like Hopkins because he's one of the best receivers in league history, but at the same time, they still had Will Fuller and he's, he's terrific. So I really thought the Packers could have used him. 15th in yards per catch this season at 15.8. He's a big play guy, can blow the top off the defense, go deep, and Aaron Rodgers loves to air it out. So you, you'd think that the fit there would have been perfect. And I think that if, if Fuller was with Green Bay, he would have established himself as one of the NFL's premier number two wide receivers. Not going to happen. He was a former first-round pick at Notre Dame, but he's just not going to be able to make an impact with the Packers this year. A playoff team, whereas he's now sitting with the one-win Houston Texans and they, they stink. So it would have been a big move for the Packers to make this move for a wideout. They didn't do it. And I thought it was the biggest biggest news of the week that this move never went down. Um, and I, I think it shows a trend with the Packers. They have never been able to properly surround Aaron Rodgers with weapons and coaching and defense. I mean, they have just never been able to give him what he has needed to succeed. They've won the one Super Bowl. They have been to the playoffs many times. But when you have a head coach in Mike McCarthy for nine or ten years, you had bad defenses for many of those seasons, poor running games, you had Eddie Lacy, you had James Starks, and finally now you have Aaron Jones who can 
really be a star for you. But for the most part, no running game for, for Aaron Rodgers over the years. Very few weapons, bad drafting, and that includes this year with the Jordan Love and A.J. Dillon picks in the first two rounds. They just haven't been able to surround Rodgers with what he's needed. And this also, in addition to coaching, because I said McCarthy was kind of a dinosaur, a guy who was, who was good for his first few years, but never was able to properly adapt to the modern NFL, never was able to update his playbook, never was able to become more creative, and he just sort of rested on his previous laurels uh, as, as a good head coach, a guy who had won a Super Bowl, but never was able to change or make any adjustments to help the Packers win in future seasons. And I think that that's an organizational-wide problem. It happened with McCarthy, and it's happening now with the front office. And even though in the past very few NFL teams were willing to make big trades uh, at trade deadlines or be active in free agency, today in 2020, that's no longer what is what, what happens in this league. I mean, teams make trades when they're necessary. Teams make big signings when they have to. You, you just don't develop your team through the draft anymore. You, there's other ways of upgrading. And the Packers, to me, have always been one of those teams that while they'll always be competitive and they'll always win a lot of games, they'll never be able to get themselves to pay up for talent and truly take a risk when it comes to winning. They just sort of have the team that they have, and that's what they're going to go with for the whole season. They've never been able to to really make the, the upgrade and to go for it and to go for the Super Bowl win uh, like they've needed to in the past. Like I said, they've never surrounded Rodgers with what he's needed. I mean, can you believe this stat? Three career touchdowns in Rodgers' career. He's thrown over 350 career touchdowns. Three of them have been to a first round, a previous first round pick. And those three have come all to Mercedes Lewis, who's a 30-something-year-old tight end uh, who just came to Green Bay last year. He had three career touchdowns with the Packers. That's every single touchdown that Rodgers has thrown to a first round pick has been Mercedes Lewis. They've never been willing to spend on, on a wide receiver. They didn't draft any wide receivers in last year's loaded draft class. They just haven't been able to properly surround Rodgers at all. And like I said, organizational-wide problem. McCarthy never adapted. The Packers front office has never adapted. And what what worked in the 1960s when you had Bart Starr and what worked in the 1990s with Brett Favre isn't necessarily going to work now. And so Ted Thompson, the previous general manager, was never willing to make trades or spend money in free agency. This new general manager, Goon Kunst, he did it the one offseason where he spent on Zendaria Smith and Preston Smith, uh, the defensive players in free agency, but has really not been willing to do much wheeling and dealing since then. And it just doesn't work in today's NFL. You need to be able to make risks. And even though it may cost you draft picks or, or, or cap space down the line, you need to be willing to make those types of moves in order to come out on top in the NFC. And I just think that with the way the Packers are now, they just don't have enough at wide receiver to compete with the top teams in, in both the NFC and the AFC. I just don't have them in that top class anymore. I think this takes them out of the top contenders if they would have acquired Will Fuller. And as I said, on pace to break all of his personal bests, on pace for about 10 touchdowns, over 1,000 yards, about 60, 70 catches. If, he, if they could have gotten him, surrounded him with Fuller, and Devontae Adams, and then at tight end you have an emerging player in Tanyan, and you have uh, Alan Lazard as your third receiver, and Valdez Scantling as a useful fourth receiver, well then all of a sudden you've really got something. And they already have a decent offensive line, Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams are an excellent running back tandem, 
then all of a sudden you really have an elite offense. And with Matt LaFleur as your head coach, you can rely on him to make some creative plays up and to really be innovative in helping them win. But right now, they just don't have enough of wide receiver. I mean, every single time Aaron Rodgers drops back, he looks for Devontae Adams. Either he throws him the ball like he did last night for 170 yards, or he doesn't throw him the ball, and you're really throwing to a bunch of unproven, no-name players. Alan Lazard, your number two receiver, isn't an NFL number two receiver, but he's the guy you have now, and he's hurt. So all of a sudden, your typical third receiver in Valdez Scanling becomes your second receiver, and behind him, you have almost nothing. So there's a major hole in terms of the offense there with the Packers. And like I said, they're just not in the top contender group right now for me. They're not as good as Kansas City. They're not Pittsburgh. Uh, they're, they're, they're not Seattle. Uh, they're not probably as good as Tampa Bay. They're just a little bit behind those other top teams. And it's a problem going forward. I feel bad for Aaron Rodgers, but this is going to be a part of his legacy. He just never had enough in Green Bay to win enough to win, to win Super Bowls. He won the one Super Bowl early. But he probably won't win another one, and I think a big reason why is the Packers never did enough for him. It wasn't anything that Rodgers did uh, that was his fault. All right, on to the 49ers. Uh, the 49ers got crushed last night by the Packers, and that was the big NFL story last night, but I really didn't take much from that game. The 49ers have guys that are sick with COVID. They had guys on IR. They had a backup quarterback last night. I really didn't take much from the 34-17 beatdown that the Packers handed to him. And it wasn't even that close. It was 34-3 in the fourth quarter. They just had a couple late touchdowns. But the bigger problem for the 49ers is not that they got beat by the Packers last night. It's not that they're now 4-5 and five and don't look like a playoff team as the reigning NFC champions. It's that, and I never thought I'd be saying this this year, they need a quarterback. And I don't mean getting rid of Nick Mullins who started last night or finding a backup upgrade for C.J. Beathard. No, no, no. I mean the guy who's their starter, Jimmy Garoppolo. They desperately need to make a quarterback upgrade because Jimmy Garoppolo, and I didn't think I'd say this, is not the answer in the future. They have a huge quarterback issue. I was so wrong on this guy. And and you and people may remember this. There were rumors in January, February, March about the 49ers wanting to grab Tom Brady to be their franchise guy for just a couple of years as Brady goes through his 40s and wraps up his career. I thought those rumors were insane. I thought John Lynch was crazy for even considering that. And they never really made too much of a run at him. But even the fact that those rumors were out there really surprised me. I liked Jimmy last year. I mean, it was the first season he had really started full-time. He played all 16 games. He put up very good numbers, 27 touchdowns. And he was one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. I never loved him. I was never convinced that he was this all-time quarterback or a top 10 quarterback. But I thought he was good enough to be a a above average starter and somebody who could be with the 49ers on a loaded team with a great defense and a good run game and Kyle Shanahan for a long time. That was what I thought Jimmy Garoppolo was. And I was wrong about that. He may have played well last year, but he is not as good as he was last year. That's just not who he is. And he's not going to be the starter very long here. He is not going to be the starter even next season. And he's hurt now. He didn't play last night. He might not play again the rest of the year. But he, met, he might never make another start with the 49ers. I would not be surprised if last week when he got hurt and hurt his ankle was the last time he ever plays a game for San Francisco. First of all, he's constantly hurt. He is hurt now. He was hurt earlier this season. And he's only had one career game where he started full-time and made double-digit starts. That was last year. He played all 16 games. Otherwise, he's played six games this year. 
He played three games his first year in San Francisco. He just is, he's constantly hurt. Or, sorry, he played five games his first year in San Francisco and then three his second year. But otherwise, he's, he's constantly hurt. He just can't stay healthy. And that's obviously an issue in terms of your quarterback. You want to have a durable guy under center for you. The other thing is Kyle Shanahan just doesn't trust him. And we've seen it this season, including in the Miami game where he was terrible, 7 for 17 with two picks. That was probably a month ago or so. Uh, we saw it in the playoffs last year. He threw eight passes in the Green Bay NFC Championship game where they crushed Green Bay. But at the same time, Shanahan was just reliant on Raheem Mostert in the run game. Didn't even try and put the ball in Garoppolo's hands to make any plays. Uh, so we've, we've seen it before. He also cost the, the 49ers Super Bowl last year. Could have thrown that pass to Emmanuel Sanders. Could have hit him deep. Probably would have scored a touchdown. That probably wins it for San Francisco. And he missed the throw, threw it too deep. And Patrick Mahomes came back, scored three touchdowns in the fourth quarter, and they won. So he's hurt. He doesn't trust him. Shanahan doesn't trust him. And he's already blown a Super Bowl game for them. So he's not going to be the starter next year. He's been pretty awful this year after coming off a great year. Like I said, 7 for 17 against Miami. Another two picks against the Patriots a couple weeks ago. Seven touchdowns and five picks through his six games. He's 22nd in passer rating in the NFL. He's not very mobile, doesn't move around well, doesn't run much. Something that you really need as a young quarterback in today's NFL. And this is also the perfect time for the 49ers to make a move and, and decide to move on from him. They can cut him in the offseason. It's a very minimal cap hit, just $2.8 million this year. And then you have another million and a half or so the year after that, which is not a lot. Or you can trade him, which I don't see as likely, but maybe it will happen. Maybe there's a team out there willing to sacrifice a pick for him. We'll see. So they can either move, they can move off of him very easily. And the great thing about this year in terms of quarterbacks is, and we saw this also last year, there are a lot of options in terms of who could be your next quarterback. You can go with Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold likely will be readily available considering the Jets are the NFL's worst team. They'll probably have the first pick and they can go uh, draft Trevor Lawrence, trade Sam Darnold, who hasn't really proved much in the NFL, but everyone thinks he's talented. Everyone thinks that if he was in a better situation and San Francisco would qualify, he could be much more successful. Matt Ryan's another option. The Falcons are terrible. They only have two wins. Matt Ryan's a franchise quarterback, a future Hall of Famer, and somebody that can really help an NFL team win now, even in his mid-30s. He could be available this offseason if the Falcons decide to uh, draft a quarterback in the first round. Maybe Kirk Cousins is available if he can get out of Minnesota. Dwayne Haskins, the first rounder from last year, got benched in Washington. Maybe he's available. We'll see what happens with a guy like Daniel Jones. We'll see what the Giants decide to do at quarterback. There are a lot of options. Of course, they could also just try decide to draft somebody if you're San Francisco. You could see if there's someone later in the first round because they're not going to be a, a, a four, three or four win team. I mean, they'll probably win eight or nine games maybe. And you can try and draft somebody maybe later in the first round. Cam Newton's another one. He'll be a free agent, just signed a, a one-year deal with, with the uh, New England Patriots. So there's a lot of options out there if you're San Francisco, but one option that you cannot go with is Jimmy G. And he was good last year, like I said, but he's just not the answer. He's not consistent enough. He's not healthy enough. And he's not trusted enough by the genius head coach in Kyle Shanahan. And Kyle Shanahan's awesome. He is fantastic. But if you don't trust your quarterback, it's hard to win in this league. And we've seen their flaws this year. The team was loaded last year. They had a ton of weapons, a great defense, and Garoppolo was able to succeed under that. But this year they have injuries. He's been banged up. And the team just isn't as good as it was. And you've seen him crumble under that pressure. 
And it just proves to me that he's not a franchise quarterback. He's serviceable. He could probably start somewhere as a bridge quarterback, but he's not a franchise guy, and you can't commit to him long-term if you're the 49ers. You took a shot on him when you traded for him uh, from New England, but I think by now you've realized that he's not the guy, and he's not trusted there, so it is time to move on. Okay, we'll take a quick commercial break, and then we'll be right back. This is the Schwartz on Sports podcast, brought to you by the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. This episode of Schwartz on Sports is brought to you by Invader Coffee. Invader Coffee is an ultra-premium, veteran-owned coffee company proudly delivering only the best coffee your hard-earned money can buy. They aim to only serve the highest quality organic, air-roasted coffee beans sourced from free trade farms all over the world. They keep things simple, the best coffee at an affordable price, in order to provide you with the value you deserve from your morning boost. 100% fair trade, 100% organic coffee beans, 100% air-roasted, 100% money-back guarantee. Visit invadercoffee.com and enter promo code BELLYUP at checkout to receive 15% off your order. All right, everyone, welcome back to Schwartz on Sports, brought to you by the Belly Up Podcast Network. I'm your host, Noah Schwartz. Back to do Describe 5 for week number 9 in the NFL. I'm going to be doing this every week on the show. Take five NFL games, the five best of the weekend, and talk all about them and make my picks. So let's begin with the 6-1 Seattle Seahawks against the 6-2 Buffalo Bills, a 1 p.m. game on Fox this weekend. A couple of things to start with that favor Buffalo. A cross-country flight for the Seahawks. They have to go from Seattle all the way to upstate New York. That's a long flight, and with the time change, it's going to feel like a 10 a.m. start for the Seahawks. They may be a little tired, a little cranky at the start of the game. Another thing is Carlos Hyde and Chris Carson probably won't play this week, and the Seahawks have struggled to run the ball all season, but if their two best running backs are out, that, that's just a, a, a major loss there. They haven't played. Uh, they didn't play last week, so we'll see if they're in there. But if not, Travis Homer and DJ Dallas are going to have to step up big time for the Seahawks because they just don't have much at running back. It should be a running back by committee approach this weekend again. On the Seattle side of this, they're going to get two key players back, though, on its defense. Jamal Adams, who hasn't played since week three, he will return the superstar safety. He just They just got him from the Jets. He's barely played with his new team. And that should not only be a physical boost to get your arguably your best defensive player back, but it's also going to be an emotional boost. They've been winning games without him, but they know that they can't win a Super Bowl if this guy's not there. He is such a great pass rusher. He can intercept the ball. He's a playmaker in the back end of your defense. A tremendous talent. The best safety in the NFL. They're going to really be able to utilize him now that he's back. And then Carlos Dunlap, who they acquired from the Bengals, who was there for a decade, should help improve the pass rush. He hasn't played with the Seahawks yet. This will be his first game. He should start immediately and will be their best pass rusher probably from game one. So two big additions to the Seahawks defense this weekend. They also have Russell Wilson. Maybe you've heard of him. Playing at the highest level he ever has. 71% completion percentage this year. 26 touchdowns and in just seven games. He's one short of the all-time touchdown record through seven games. Tom Brady has that. Uh, back from 2007 when he threw 27 touchdowns. The, and then the last point I want to make is it's going to be 60 degrees or maybe even close to 70 degrees at some at, at points during this game in Buffalo. And in November, it never reaches that temperature in Buffalo, but it will this weekend. And so with the nice weather in mind, you have to remember 
the Seattle Seahawks have been airing it out all season. And, and as we say, let Russ cook. They have two top five receivers, or close to top five receivers, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And they'll be able to air it out and go for cheap, cheaper touchdowns down the field this weekend. Russell Wilson is arguably the best deep ball thrower in the NFL. And with the nicer weather, he'll be able to, uh, to do that in Buffalo this weekend. That's why I'll give the edge to the Seahawks. I think they're the better team in this game, and I'll pick them. Second game I want to talk about, the Chicago Bears and the Tennessee Titans. 5-3 Chicago, 5-2 Tennessee. This is a 1 p.m. Fox game. It's also a get-back game for both teams because they both lost two straight. Bears were 5-1, now they're 5-3. The Titans were undefeated, now they're 5-2. So they, they both desperately need a win. There's been a lot of vitriol on the shoulders of Nick Foles recently. A lot of Bears fans have wanted this guy out of the lineup, but now Mitchell Trubisky's hurt. He hurt his shoulder, and so they don't really have another choice. Foles has turned the ball over at way too high a rate this season in the games he's played. Uh, eight touchdowns and, and seven picks, so not a good percentage there since he came in week three. And he's had at least one interception in every start. He needs to protect the ball, not turn it over if they want to have a chance. They don't have a great offense, and if he turns the ball over, they've got little to no chance of winning many games. This is going to be an ugly game. It's a great defense uh, for the Titans and a great defense for the Bears, and then a bad offense for the Bears and a bad defense for the Titans. The Titans are 5th in yards per game on offense, while the Bears are 12th in yards allowed, so a near top 10 unit there. And then the Bears, offensively, 29th in yards per game, and the Titans are 25th in yards allowed. So strength on strength this weekend. Great offense versus great defense, bad offense versus bad defense. I expect this game to be close. I think it'll be a one-possession game, maybe separated by a field goal or a touchdown. And if you're asking me who I feel better about in a close game, I would have to tell you that it, it would be the Titans. I think Derrick Henry and, and Tannehill, if, if the game is close late, I expect those two to be able to lead the offense for a touchdown or, or, or go in field goal range better or more than I would expect uh, from Foles and that offense. So I would pick the Titans in a close game this week. I just, I just trust them a little bit more in, in a tight game down the stretch. Third game I want to talk about, the 5-2 Baltimore Ravens against the 5-2 Colts in Indianapolis, a 1 p.m. CBS game. Two great defenses in this game. Baltimore is number two in scoring defense at 19 points a game. And then Indianapolis is fifth at 19.4. So great defenses, well-coached defenses as well. The Colts have the NFL's best offensive line, but they are facing one of the toughest pass rushes. Uh, Baltimore's 24 sacks are fifth in the NFL this year. And this is really a game of trends for me. The Colts are coming off their best offensive game of the season against Detroit. They hung about 40 points on them. Phillip Rivers was outstanding in that game, his best game as a Colt. And then on the other side, Lamar Jackson had his worst game, maybe of his entire career, but probably since the Chargers playoff game as a rookie. And it's just a matter of who do I expect to keep to keep that, that trend going. Lamar was awful against the Steelers, four interceptions, and then Rivers was great against Detroit. Who do I trust more? I would trust Lamar Jackson to get back on track. He's a former MVP, the reigning MVP. He's got a better team with a ton of talent around him. He's got weapons everywhere. And I just trust him to get back on track as the reigning MVP more than I would a near 40-year-old quarterback with a struggling T.Y. Hilton as his number one receiver. They don't have a number two guy because Paris Campbell's on IR. They don't have a great rushing attack, uh, and the Ravens do. So I would just expect the Ravens to be the team that gets back on the win back back on the winning uh, on the winning track this weekend. I think they will win on the road in Indianapolis. 
Fourth game I want to talk about, the 4-3 Miami Dolphins against the 5-2 Arizona Cardinals. 425 game on CBS. Two scorching hot teams. The Dolphins have won three straight. And the Cardinals have are, are just coming off a win against the Seattle Seahawks on Sunday night. So two teams that are definitely playing with a lot of confidence right now. The first thing I want to mention is the Dolphins have to fly cross country. I mentioned it earlier with the Bills-Seattle game. And it's the same case here. Dolphins have to go from Florida to Arizona, and that's a tough flight to make. And then also, Arizona has had two weeks to prepare for this game and two weeks for Cliff Kingsbury to come up with a game plan to stop a rookie quarterback in Tua Tagovailoa. Tua had his first start last week against the Rams. He didn't play great, but he didn't play badly. It's sort of a strange performance because he had less than 100 yards passing, but he didn't play bad because they just didn't expect ask him to do much. I mean, the defense had a touchdown. They had a fumble that they returned 80-something yards for a score, and then they had a punt return touchdown. So they had the lead most of the game, and they just didn't ask Tua to do very much. He just sort of handed the ball off most of the time, or he just threw it short short passes. And uh, so I expect him to be more involved this week. I think Brian Flores will definitely plan to have him uh, throw the ball a lot more. And they also aren't going to be able to run the balls effectively with Miles Gaskin, who's been their number one running back all season. He He's out. So it's going to be a lot on Tua to create offense against a really, really good Arizona offense to keep pace with them scoring-wise. The Dolphins have the NFL's top scoring defense, so you got to remember that too, uh, just 18.6 points a game. And then Arizona on the other side averages the most yards in the NFL per week, so 419 yards per game for the Cardinals. I just think, though, that the Cardinals have too many weapons for the Dolphins to handle. DeAndre Hopkins is maybe the NFL's best receiver. Uh, you've got Chase Edmonds playing very well at running back. You've got Christian Kirk. You've got Larry Fitzgerald. There's just a lot of weapons there, along with Kyler Murray, who's playing at a very high level right now. And the Dolphins, I think they're a year away. I like where they're headed. I think Brian Flores is great. But at the end of the day, I just think that they are a little too young and inexperienced. And I think within a year or two, they'll be a, a perennial playoff team, one of the best teams in the AFC. But for right now, Arizona is just too good. I think they're going to be in the playoffs this season. I don't think that with Miami. So I think Arizona will win this week, coming off its bye at home. Final game I want to talk about. Sunday Night Football on NBC, 8-20 kickoff. Saints at 5-2 at Tampa Bay, 6-2. And And to me, this game is maybe the most important game in the entire NFL in any division so far this season. Whoever wins this game will have the division lead. And I think whoever wins it will actually end up winning the division when it is all said and done. They played in week one. The Saints won that game. But this is these are two very different teams than what we saw back then. Uh, the Saints, they back then they had Emmanuel Sanders and Michael Thomas healthy. Now they don't. We'll see if those guys are back this weekend. Uh, they've used a, a ragtag group of receivers to help out Drew Brees. The defense had to step up. So they're a different team, uh, if, especially if they get Thomas and Sanders back. And then... In terms of Tampa Bay, they're a different team too because Tom Brady has fully acclimated himself to Tampa. He's playing at a very high level. They have figured out how to use Mike Evans and Chris Godwin the right way. They're going to have Antonio Brown for the first time this weekend. So imagine that offense. It's just hard to believe that they're going to have Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Antonio Brown. All guys catching passes from Brady. Hard to believe. They've got Rob Gronkowski playing at a high level. He's really reacclimated himself to the NFL. They've got a seriously good running attack as Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones have found roles and have really acclimated themselves to this offense also. And the defense, which was my biggest question mark for this team coming into the year, 
has turned into a top five-ish unit, seventh in scoring defense. So they've played really, really well. Didn't expect that. They're very fast at linebacker. They're explosive. They take the ball away. They do a lot well on defense, led by Todd Bowles, the former Jet coach. So I'm really impressed with the defense. And the offense has been very good. Uh, I'm actually going to take the Saints in this game. They were my preseason pick to win the NFC South. I'm going to stick with that. I really like what they've been doing. They've been winning games without Thomas and Sanders. And Alvin Kamara has just really stepped up, played like a superstar, the guy who got a big contract at the beginning of the year. So I think they'll lean heavily on him. I think Drew Brees will just find the right receivers to throw to underneath. He hasn't been airing it out at all this year. He's gotten a lot of criticism about his arm strength. But at the same time, it's working. They are 5-2, and two, and I just think they'll win this game. They'll go on the road, win a game in Tampa, and uh, it'll lead them to a division win. They were my preseason pick, and I'm sticking to it. All right, that was my Describe 5 for the week. I'll be right back. We'll take another quick commercial break, and then we'll talk some NBA. We'll talk some baseball. This is Schwartz on Sports, brought to you by the Belly Up Podcast Network. This episode of Schwartz on Sports is brought to you by Hoff and Pepper Hot Sauce. Handcrafted with farm-fresh jalapenos and habaneros, Hoff's original Hoff sauce has gone on to win numerous awards and gain international recognition. Hoff and Pepper always strives to create sauces and seasonings that enhance flavors with balanced heat profiles. Every one of their handmade products is manufactured in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and is naturally vegan and gluten-free. Shop today at HoffandPepper.com, and when you enter promo code BELLYUP at checkout, you'll save 10% off your purchase. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Schwartz on Sports podcast brought to you by the Belly Up Podcast Network. Time to talk some NBA, time to talk some MLB. So let's start with some basketball. We officially know when the season is going to begin. The bubble was great all summer. I enjoyed it. The Lakers won the championship. And now the 2020-2021 season is almost upon us. We found out last night, it was breaking news, that the season will begin on December 22nd, a 72-game regular season, and it will end in July prior to the Olympics, so hopefully we'll have some pros and some all-stars that go play for the American team, as well as the international countries, in the Olympics. It's going to be a great season. There's going to be a lot of activity, we would assume, in free agency and in the draft, which is just about two weeks away, so very excited for basketball to come back. I said in the last episode that it was important to start in December, even though the bubble and the beginning of the season is such a close uh, time span. It's just not a long off season for the teams that were in the bubble for a while, but it was important to do it. You had to make a sacrifice if you were these players. The Players Association agreed to it, but you had to avoid football. You had to try and finish before the Olympics to get the pros in there, and I understand it's short off season. I understand we might have some superstars load managing and missing the beginning of the year. And I'm fine with that. I understand why guys want to rest. If LeBron James and Anthony Davis and Jimmy Butler and other stars that were in the bubble for a while say, I'm out for the first month, I get it. I I understand that it's better on their bodies long-term. It just makes all the sense in the world to possibly sit if you need to. But to get the season beginning in December was a huge thing. You got to avoid football. You got to finish before the Olympics. And another big part of this that I didn't know about until yesterday was the cap isn't going to decrease. I figured, and most people said, that the salary cap in the NBA was going to go down this year and teams would have to make sacrifices financially if they wanted to pay the luxury tax, if they wanted to go over the cap. It was not going to be easy for teams to be active. And we found out that the cap is not going down. It is going to stay right at $109 million where it was uh, this past season. So it's not going down. It will stay the same. 
And then in the next year, it will go up 2%. And then the next year, 2% and 2% until the league is in good enough shape financially once they've recovered enough from this pandemic to raise the cap even more each year. So 109 this year like it was, and then a 2% rise each season until the league can raise it even more uh, in the future, which is just a great, which is just great news. And obviously it gives teams more flexibility. It's going to allow teams to avoid cutting payroll. I mean, you really didn't want to see guys get cut and have to sign uh, guys on minimum contracts. You want these players to be making money. They deserve it. They play very, very hard. They play long seasons. It's just, it's good for the game to see its players doing well financially. And in this case, they're going to do just as well as they've done in the past. Uh, I expect salaries to stay just where they've been. And that's a really good sign for the league long-term. Like I said, a lot of teams will be aggressive. There's a lot of good teams out there. There's no great team, in my opinion. I mean, the Lakers were the champion, but they're not a great team, an all-time team. Neither were the Clippers, neither were the Bucks, neither were the Miami Heat. So none of those teams are are just classic all-time teams. And I just think that there's a lot of other lower teams out there that think that they're a player away from being true contenders. And so because of that, I expect the trade market to be active once they open up the trade market, which will happen probably in the next couple of weeks before the draft. We may see some stars get traded. We've already heard some Drew Holiday rumors. Maybe he'll go to Milwaukee. Maybe he'll go to the Nets, maybe Denver. There are other teams, but there are a lot of contenders out there that just feel they're a piece away. And if they can make the right move, uh, they can right, they can be right in the championship mix. So we'll see exactly what goes on in the offseason. But just the fact that it's going to start back up in just over a month now, it's like a month and just a couple weeks, it's great news. Free agency will begin at some point this month. The draft's on the 18th. So the NBA looks to be in good shape. Uh, they'll finish avoid football. That should help the ratings. And uh, it's just a great thing for the game because if there was a labor fight and they wanted to start in January, it just wasn't going to end well. Happy it's starting now. The NBA is, as I said, in good shape for the future. All right, on to baseball quickly. Uh, we heard some big news yesterday regarding one of the best shortstops and best players overall in our game. Francisco Lindor is going to get traded this offseason. Uh, baseball is is just in a bad shape financially, just like basketball, but I think baseball even worse. They have not done well through this pandemic. The 60-game season was a mess uh, in terms of teams paying guys and so it looks like some of these small market teams are going to have to cut payroll. The Indians last week cut Brad Hand, let him loose uh, $10 million for one season as one of the best relievers in the sport. Very surprising that they did so, but it just speaks to the fact that they are going to have to uh, cut payroll this year. And Francisco Lindor is an upcoming free agent. He'll be a free agent in a year. And I expect a lot of contenders and teams with money to spend. There's very few teams that that is the case. But if you can spend money, I expect those teams to be active trying to pick him up. He is one of the elite players in our game. Had a rough season last year, so maybe his trade value decreased a little bit. But still, a, a multiple-time All-Star and a guy who can be a foundational piece uh, for the long haul. So I expect the San Francisco Giants to maybe get involved, the New York Mets. My New York Mets, they should be willing to spend a lot of money with the new ownership. Get to that in a minute. Uh, there's a few other teams out there, maybe Boston, maybe Toronto. There's a few teams that look like they'll be in the market to spend. Maybe the Yankees will get involved. Maybe the Dodgers will get involved. But for the most part, it should be a relatively quiet offseason uh, in terms of big trades. And maybe guys won't be getting paid what they've been getting paid in the past, especially the lower tier players. But it looks like Lindor is going to get traded. And that will be 
a, a story to follow through the offseason until that eventually happens. He should be in a new uniform next year, no longer with Cleveland. As I said, speaking of the Mets, the Steve Cohen deal as the new owner should finish up today on Friday. Uh, very happy about this news. As you guys know, I'm a big Mets fan. And uh, having this guy in there, I talked about it on the last episode, should really help out this franchise for the long haul, help them build a consistent winner, help them analytically, help them with their farm system, help them spend money on free agents and make big trades. So the Mets should be one of the most active teams in the big leagues this offseason. And maybe Lindor will be the new shortstop. Maybe they'll look to Arenado. Maybe they'll look to sign Real Muto or Springer or Bauer, one of the big free agents, one of the big trade candidates. I expect the Mets to be even better than they have been, uh, in especially 2019. They were a good team, and they, they should be even better next year. So looking forward to having Steve Cohen as the new owner should be done by the end of the day today with a press conference probably set for Tuesday to formally introduce him. And then finally in baseball, this was breaking news earlier this morning, Alex Cora has his job back. As you remember, he was the Boston Red Sox manager in 2018 and 2019, uh, won the World Series his first year. He was in Houston in 2017 when they won the World Series as the bench coach. So a long tenure of success for the last four or five years in, in, in baseball. And of course, he was caught being a part of the sign stealing scandal in Houston and then was part of uh, some sort of minor scandal with the Red Sox. He was suspended for the 60-game season, a little slap on the wrist, just like they gave A.J. Hinch uh, for, the, for the suspension there. Hinch was hired by the Tigers last week. Cora now has his job back with the Red Sox. They were looking to hire maybe Sam Full. There were a couple other candidates for the job, but uh, Cora, whether you like him or not as a person and whether you think he has done the right things in the past, is a good manager. He's a World Series winning manager, and the Red Sox were interested in bringing him back, and they officially did so this morning he will get a second chance to be the manager of a big market club and a team that's in a rebuilding phase, but one that should be over sooner rather than later, and they should be a contender uh, before you know it. All right, moving on to the last segment of the day. I do this every single week. Noah's number one performer of the week. And for me this week, it is Michigan State football. Michigan State football had a really rough, a really rough loss to start the season out in the first week of Big Ten football to start the year. They lost to the dreadful Rutgers Scarlet Knights under new coach Greg Schiano, but uh, they beat a good Michigan team last week, 27-24, and that's why they're my number one performer. They've got a new coaching staff with the Spartans. Mel Tucker, who was with Colorado, has now moved on to coach Michigan State, and this over the years has been an elite program, and uh, this was the big, the first big win for Tucker in his tenure at Michigan State. It is a new coaching staff. There is a transition period that goes along with that, but this was still a great win. And in, just in terms of the Michigan part of this, this is a colossal failure for Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan program. He's been there for a while now, and every single year, the expectations are sky high, and the Wolverines have just never been able to meet those expectations. They've never beaten Ohio State in, the te in his tenure. They've never won a big bowl game in, in, the, in the New York Six games. They've lost a lot of those bowl games that they've been in. They're a 10-ish win program in a normal season every year, but they don't win the big ones. And I, I assume this is going to be the last year of Jim Harbaugh in Michigan State. I, I thought he was going to be gone after last year, and they kept him on board for another season. We'll see if this is it for him. But uh, I, I just think he's lost a lot of his shine as one of the elite coaches in, in the country, both in the pro level and the college level. He was very good at Stanford. He was very good with the 49ers, but it just hasn't worked out for him at Michigan. It's been a failure. And uh, as a Jet fan, with a new coach likely coming in at some point, there's been rumors about Harbaugh going to the Jets. I'm not a fan of that. 
I just think that he is a very overrated head coach and someone that needs to step away from the game for a little while to figure some things out, maybe find some new philosophies, some new strategies before he re-enters the coaching circle to maybe find a new program or a new pro team to, uh, to be the coach of. All right, so that's it for this episode of Schwartz on Sports. Again, this was the second episode that I have done. I will be doing a lot more of them. Uh, be sure to tune into our next show as well. I'll be having Jackson Roberts, an Ithaca College graduate, a recent graduate who now works in North Dakota, doing TV over there, covering those teams. So I'll have him on for an interview. That should come out early next week at some point. So make sure you stay tuned for that. And uh, I hope everyone has a nice weekend. Happy Friday. And I hope everyone enjoys the football games this weekend. So be well and thanks for listening.